Hey there, everybody. So glad to see you by faith right now, wherever you are watching live or at your convenience, getting this wherever you can, wherever you're getting your internet feed, wherever you can uh, download these messages. We're so thankful that we can make this gospel free of charge to you, that at any given time, any given uh, point and place that you can grab a hold on it, that you can hear it, that you can uh, open your Bible and read along with us, and God can speak to you directly. We're so thankful for this, that we have part in Jesus ministering to you. We're so thankful to hear from you over these past days. We're so thankful to be able to pray and believe God with you, and we rejoice with you as these wonderful works are happening in your life. We're so thankful that despite all that's going on in this world, the light is shining bright and God is working wonderfully in our lives. It's wonderful to hear how he has spared us from sickness and disease, how he has helped us despite any attack financially to stay well and sound and to rise above all that is coming against us in every area of life. We have God on our side and it is wonderful. Now, we are so thankful to come together with you at this point in time, and I am excited about what God is ministering in these times. There is something that's been strong on my heart, something that uh, I've realized has upset a lot of people, and that is uh, what the Bible talks about in regards to prosperity, um, having more than enough. Jesus said he came that we may have uh, a, an abundant life more than enough life. And um, this is something that has angered many, but it's something that I want to know, God, what is your will? What's your way? What does the Bible say about this? What is right about this? And um, I believe that every one of us as believers wants that very same thing. So as I've been seeking him about it over these days, I sense more and more that he's been showing me that, you know, what we classify what we term and define prosperity as is going to make a big deal when we look at it. And uh, if we're talking about prosperity in only a physical and material sense, then we're actually missing a whole lot on uh, biblical and godly prosperity. And so in, in conjunction with this, this is not separated from some of the things we have already talked about in recent days. And that's why I'm, I'm, uh, introducing this in this way, that uh, as I've been meditating on this, I sense God has brought me to 1 Timothy 6.6 6 as a classification for prosperity. And in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, you're welcome to go there, but I'm just going to, to tell you in the King James, it says that, um, yes, sir. Well, let's just go there briefly. Uh it's good for us to get our eyes on the word because it's one of the ways that it gets inside of us. It's one of the ways that we, you know, you don't want to just go by any minister's uh, uh, paraphrase or you want to be able to track it back and see in the scriptures for yourself. So let's go together and we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. And um, I'm thankful you're believing with me that uh, together God's helping us giving us of his grace. Um, in fact, let's, um, you know, he's, he's giving grace to speak it, 
but he's giving grace and helping to hear it well as well. And um, so I'm believing with you to hear it right. You're believing with me to say it right. And together, guess what? We'll enjoy these times. It's wonderful. Um, here in 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Is great gain. Great gain, I would, I would sense, is a biblical way that we can term prosperity. That there is a way with God that is the greatest gain in this earth. And I would say is the greatest gain that we could have for an eternal way. That there is a way that is God, and it is a great gain. It is a rewarded way. And uh, it tells us, and, and now the King James, it's hard to really get this without the Lord's help. And um, it says godliness with contentment is the great gain. It is the prosperous way. It is the successful way. Why have many been unsuccessful? The answer is right here in these words. And it tells us that godliness, well, that's all who God is. That's all who he has been toward us. God has not uh, demonstrated himself in a poor way. He's given lavishly of himself. The scriptures in Ephesians 1 tell us that God has um, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if he's blessed us already with all spiritual blessings, you got many people not benefiting from those blessings. Why? The very same people will look around and think the problem is with God in some way, shape, or form. And they'll think they're, they're waiting on God to send the blessing. And they're waiting on other people to send the blessing. But in all actuality, God has sent it. It is working on his behalf. According to him, he has blessed us. According to him, he has graced us. According to him, he has given us his spirit. According to him, he's given us the fruit of the spirit. How many times have you heard a believer talk about they don't have any patience? They don't. You know, they walk around depressed. They don't have any joy. They're just all upset. Well, God did not give them that. He gave them joy and peace. He gave them faith. He gave them love. He has given us, I should say, these very fruit of his spirit. It's one of the ways he has made us rich. The grace of God is us having his knowledge, his diligence. Hallelujah. His faith, His love, His generous nature working, these are parts of His grace. His grace is also utterance, the ability to speak. This is His ability to do these things in the way He would do them. That is a way He has been rich towards us. But how many believers think they can't say anything right? They just can't do anything right. They just... Well, did God give the grace or didn't he? Where is the problem lying if one is living as a Christian in a poor way, spiritually or solically or physically and materially? Whose fault? Is it God that we're waiting on? Is it a God issue or is it something that he has already committed to us and it's gone through our fingers? 
and it's went right through our grasp. We Christians have got to find out from God how to keep what he's given us. I, I sense you're seeing it like maybe you haven't seen it before. The problem is not that he needs to give it. The problem is we need to keep from losing it. We need to, we need to keep from getting it. Yes, sir. Go with me, if you will, and let's look at, let me go to my notes because I want to tell it to you, right? Yes, sir. <clears throat> go with me to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew, chapter six. Hallelujah. There is a way in which that you and I can keep everything that God has given us. So I want you to go to Matthew 6, and I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to uh, reemphasize 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. And it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So notice, godliness, that's God's part. That's everything that God has done and is doing for us and on our behalf. God has graciously given of himself in an abundant way. So we're not lacking in the godliness. God has demonstrated himself and is actively doing so. So it is not the only, the only part to prosperity is not godliness alone. It's not all of God's, even though that's wonderful. When God initially gives you and me all of himself, at that point in time, you and I are rich. We're not lacking any good thing. When God shows himself to us in all of his fullness, we are rich beyond compare. And this is what you and I will find. If we were to take time and look at Romans 10, it says that all that call upon the name of the Lord, it says he's rich to all that call upon the name of the Lord. So as soon as you and I turn our heart to God and make that willing effort and say, we want you, God. We want you to show yourself to us. We want to know you. At that moment, he enriches our lives. And spiritually and in our mind, in our will, and our emotions, he immediately right there begins to make us rich. You and I having Jesus as our Lord and never dying, living forever, you're talking about rich people. You are talking about enriched lives. It's one of the ways he's made us rich. Well, as soon as that happened, the Holy Spirit came on inside of us, and we are empowered. Then we can have him on us, empowering us for service to God. You want to talk about being made rich. God has done this. And yet the, the scriptures tell us that the Spirit of God is working together with us. So everything that you and I are doing on an everyday basis, the Holy Spirit's coming right there because he's never leaving. And he's working together with what we're doing. So we've been made rich to have him. I can see that many of us believers, he's been confined to a couch. And he's been confined to do absolutely nothing. Why? Because we are doing absolutely nothing.
and we've been made rich, but what does that show? We're living in a poor way. Now, this may be very sobering. This may not be sounding like good news, but trust me, if you stick here with us, there is good news, my friends. You and I can learn how to keep God's very rich nature and keep it for our life long. And you want to talk about prosperous people, it doesn't get any more rich than that, than you and I finding God and finding His and it not getting away from us. Now, some of what we've been looking at, at how we see it, it is imperative in connection with this. So here in Matthew 6, let's look at this. Matthew 6, verse 22, and it says this, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single. Now this is King James. That doesn't always read well for us to understand. But if your eye be single, it says your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, or you could say bad or wrong, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I like the Bible in basic English says, the light of the body is the eye. If then your eye is true, you could say honest. If you're seeing it right, if you're seeing it true, all your body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, all your body will be dark. If then the light which is in you is dark, how dark will it be? We can see here that how you and I see it, whether we see it true or not, is going to determine a reality. We'll either be full of light or we'll be full of darkness. But it didn't start there. It started with what did we let in? How are we seeing it? How did we allow ourselves to look at that situation? And you and I know very well something can go on, say in a public setting, say you're on a train or you're on a bus. And something occurs and there's two separate witnesses and you ask them, hey, what happened? You're probably going to get two very different perspectives, right? They're seeing it from a different vantage point. They're seeing it in, in different circumstances and from different mindsets. And so you're going to get two completely different perceptions. Yet to them, it's reality. Both of their perceptions is a reality and yet they are completely different realities because they're completely different perceptions. The same action has occurred, but they have completely different realities in perceiving it. And that's what we're seeing here, that what you and I are looking at on an everyday basis and how we see it, how we're allowing our heart and our mind to perceive it, is making the difference between we're receiving all of God's light and being full of Him and His way of seeing and knowing and doing, or whether we're allowing ourselves to be darkened and doubtful and resisting light. That's what darkness is. The only way that we can be full of darkness is if we have resisted the light. You've seen it. I mean, how often do you open, you know, the blinds and allow that light to come in the room and there's a fight and darkness pushes back against it. That doesn't happen. The only way that darkness can fill a room is if light is rejected, 
is if light is not allowed to come in. It, you had to have had a knowing that light is right there, but I don't want the light, so I'm closing off to it. And this is what's happening. God is openly inviting and saying, come on in, I'll show you fully of myself. And people have seen part of that and go, no, I don't want any light today. I got to shut. Where them blinds at? Where are those curtains? Come on. Mm, close it. And they have chosen darkness. What is a fruit of a dark life? You don't have enough. You don't make it out well. You're not successful. You don't have your general needs being met, let alone extra. You, your body is affected. You, you know, Sickness and disease comes on in and makes its way and you have issues and frailties. Your kids are not receptive to the things of God and go off in a stray way and they yield to things that the enemy would have them to do. You can see, oh my, even in living in a dark way, the unsuccessful way, many don't even realize what they're stumbling at. Why? You're in darkness. They're in darkness. Can't even tell what it is. But there's answers to this. And it starts with, I'm going to cause myself, by the Lord's help, to look at this in a true way. There's some things about this I may not know. I, I know in a part. I know in a, in a measure I don't know it all. None of us do. But God is helping me. We can say that. We can say, God, you're helping me. Thank you. I ask that you would help me see this right. And you and I can know right from that point that not only will we see it right, but we'll be full of light. And in his light, we'll see more and we'll know more of what to do. But we have to start with what first comes. We have to be faithful with that little bit in order to see more. And so let's look together and let's look at, yes, sir. Let's look at Philippians, Philippians 4. We're talking about being thankful for what we have seen, being thankful for what God has given, because in all honesty, he has given much. And um, unfortunately, Many believers have allowed that to get away from them. Many believers have allowed that to rob, have allowed themselves to be robbed of his gracious and good ways and his gracious and good um, things. And, uh, you know, the scriptures in James talks about every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning, no He's the same. He's consistent. He is faithful to always send down from heaven what is good and what is perfect, what is going to cause us to mature, what is going to cause us to do well. That is always his plan. So now here in Philippians 4, I want you to see this in verse number 10. Philippians 4.10. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are some real answers here to why some have been successful and others have not. And um, as you're going there again, Philippians 4.10, I'm thinking now of, uh, well, maybe we'll come back to that. I think you're there. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul, by the Spirit of God, is saying this. Now, this is written to 
a church that, that actually started in a prison. When Paul and Silas were beaten for preaching the good news, they put them into uh, this innermost part of a prison. They had beaten their backs, and the midnight hour set in. And they started singing and praising God. And God moved in that place, and there was something like an earthquake, and every single cell opened right up. And, um, you know, convicts are let loose. And the jailer actually comes out and is about to kill himself. He's thinking, I was supposed to keep them, and I've, I've messed up. They're going to kill me. I might as well do it. And he's looking to kill himself. And Paul says, hold on, hold on, stop. Every single person is here. You didn't lose anyone. <laughs> oh, my. God is so caring over each and every soul. And this man and his whole house get saved, get baptized, come to God. And now there's a church in this place. And this is the church that Paul says they're partnering with him as he's going and traveling and ministering. They're partnering with him time and again. And he said, you know, you are the only one that has communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. Now, there are so many churches that are found, founded and are functioning because of God's working through Paul. And yet he's not requiring of them anything. In fact, he said, you know, I took from other churches to minister to you. He said, you know, I was robbing them to do for you. And he would go. Uh, year at a time, not receive any wage and minister the gospel free of charge. Oh my, it's not to say that's right, that he was without help. In fact, the Spirit of God in this very letter says, you did, you did well that you sent to me time and again. And so this background is he's writing to this group that has supported him in the work of God and this is a group that started out from unexpected foundations. You know, it's interesting. You and I can't tell the ones who are going to partner in the way that they are. I don't know that Paul expected that this beating and this imprisonment. I mean, you have to think, here he is in this dank cell after being beaten for doing the right thing. I don't know that he saw right then as he's praising God and thanking God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to preach this good news of Jesus. Hallelujah. And they may have got in and started singing some psalms. Oh, thank you, Lord, for delivering me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. And convicts are hearing it. Felons are going, oh, man, I sense God. I sense God. And the whole place, boom, erupts. And the Spirit of God comes in and the glory of God is present and they see Him. Oh my, revival in the jail cells. <laughs> and I don't know that Paul was expecting that that night. I don't know he was expecting that. Hallelujah. So you and I don't necessarily know how God's going to move through these who he's going to use. It's always good to just be no respecter of, a, of any person. Just do as God shows us to do. 
allow him to be our our one and all our source of every good and so here he says i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again wherein you were also careful you were thinking of me before he said but you lacked opportunity not that i speak in respect of want 11 first for i have learned paul had to learn what he's talking about if he had to learn it you and i have to learn it as well and he said i have learned in whatsoever state i am there with to be content paul had to learn contentment and he had to learn in whatever state he was in to be content this doesn't come naturally. Learning takes exercise. You know, you have to be diligent to learn something. You have to give yourself to it. You have to show up for it. You can't just roll over in bed, right? Hit the snooze again. You're not going to learn it that way. Learning, you have to yield to it. You have to open to it. And he opened himself to learn to be content. Why are we talking about this? Because godliness with the contentment is the great gain. And for you and I to experience the most prosperous life there is to have, to know Jesus as he is, to know God the Father as he is, and have his very being flow through our whole life. <laughs> we're going to have to have his godliness, but we're going to have to learn to be content. And he continued and said in the 12th verse, I know. <laughs> How do you know it? Because you've learned it. You've been shown it. God's gotten it in you. And he said, I know both. How to be abased. And I know how to abound. So he knows both of these. And he's making it very clear to us that knowing both of these things is how he has learned to be content. So let's, let's just look at this for a quick moment. If we're rejecting one of these ways, if we're refusing one of these ways, we are refusing to be content. And he's touching on two different ways. I'm going to read it in another translation that I believe is going to enlighten us some more about this. But he says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound, to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed. He's talking about learning from the Spirit of God, learning from God himself again. I'm instructed. You and I, if we will assign ourselves on a daily basis to allow God to instruct us in the ways of contentment, we will find ourselves living where we're keeping the very good and wonderful, prosperous ways of God in, where the enemy can't take them, which means we will be the most prosperous souls in this earth. I don't say that lightly. I see we have scripture to found upon that truth. And we can see here, he said, I'm instructed both to what? To be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. 
And this is where we find this all too well known scripture. I can do how many things? I can do all things through Christ, through the anointed one who strengthens me. This fellowship with the, with the Lord Jesus, it is an experiential fellowship. It is a tapping into a provision in which you and I can meet every need, can surpass every obstacle, can overcome every problem. Why? Because we know him and we are known of him and we receive instruction from him. What did Jesus say? He said, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for I'm meek. I'm lowly of heart. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You'll find rest. Rest is known as the faith way. When you're resting, you're not striving. You're not trying to do it. You're not. No, you're just doing what God shows you to do. And it just keeps working and it just keeps working. And, you, and people look at you and go, man, you didn't have to tire yourself out. And you didn't have to sweat all up and down and you didn't have to. What in the world are you doing? Hearing from God. Being instructed of him. Doing what he shows us to do. And they're going, man, I want to live like that. It just seems like they just keep doing the right thing and doing the right thing. And they're not, they're not skipping a beat. This makes our Lord look really good. Makes him look really good. It's a witness. Hallelujah. It's one of the ways that the world can know there's a better way to live. There's a better way to go. Hallelujah. And so let me read this to you from the Amplified Classic Version. And it says it in this way, the, starting from the 11th verse, Not that I am implying that I was in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content, how to be satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. I know how to be abased. That's to be brought low. And in fact, when you're talking about humility and learning of him, he said, I'm meek and lowly of heart. Jesus knows how to humble himself. It's why he didn't need to be humiliated. That's a good word. You and I do not have to be humiliated in this life. Because you and I can choose on a moment-by-moment -moment basis to humble ourselves. And if we'll humble ourselves, there will be no need to be humiliated. And, yes, sir. And so Jesus, when we learn of him, will find the way to humble ourselves in every way of life, in every needed point. And he continued here in the 12th verse and says, I know how to be abased and live humbly in straightened circumstances. And I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I have learned in any and all circumstances the secret of facing every situation. You want to know the secret? Listen up. Catch this. He said, I I've learned the secret. He said, whether well-fed or going hungry, 
having a sufficiency and enough to spare or going without and being in want. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I have this strength. It's in me and I've learned of him. Can you see this? You and I can be instructed in the same way. You and I can learn how to live in this way that no need and no over and abundance way can cause us to be moved. You know, a lot of people think, I can't handle a million dollars. It would ruin me. And a lot of people, that's a true thought. It can be seen right now in what they're doing with $10. They can't handle their money. But when you and I find we can be faithful with a little, then a million dollars won't hurt us. You can do good with that million. And to be honest, as we're growing and advancing in these years and inflation is occurring, million dollars is not becoming what it used to be. And there's many that need a billion to do what God needs them to do in this earth, to go and to do, to preach and to teach, to instruct and to make way for God's kingdom in this earth. And a billion dollars for many will hurt them. They can't handle it. But for others, I'm talking to some others right now. For some others, that $10,000 that has seemed like a big deal, it's nothing. It's nothing. And you will have it. And we will have not just enough, but more than enough. And let's look at $10,000 when you need a million. Seems like nothing. Can you see the comparison point? That if you and I need the billion and we have a million in the bank, that right now in that point, we're suffering need. Because at that point, we still need 999 million, right? To make that billion, we are in a state of need. So the need it all comes back to what? The perception. Because need. See, now, a million in the bank, many would go, what are you talking about you need, you need, you need? You don't need nothing. We need. We don't have any food. We don't. Come on, supply our need. Come get in. No, no, you're looking at it wrong. You're not seeing it right. Because the, the only one who can, oh, my. You need to see scriptures. You need to see scriptures. But I want you to see that. Because the need and the abundance is all perceptual. For some today, if a hundred US dollars came into their hands, oh my, they would think right now they have hung the moon. Because to them, that's abundance. But to another, a hundred dollars might just barely help a part of what God is requiring for the work to get done. And neither of them can say, no, hold on, hold on. What you perceive as abundance is not right. And in the other end, to, for the other to look at the, uh, the this one over here, and $100 is just barely helping to cause the work to continue, for them to say, no, no, hold on, hold on. You are not suffering need. You need to do for me. You need to, no. Both of them need to realize and perceive it right because 
you and I need to learn. If we're to be content, we're going to learn how to be in a state where we're abounding, right? Where we have more than enough, where, thank you for helping us see this, where the project is complete, whatever God is telling you to do, where your bills are paid for and you don't owe for your rent, you don't owe for your mortgage, you don't owe for a loan, and yet you still have extra there. You and I can learn to be okay with that. Why? You'll see it. In the other end, in other regard, we cannot have what we need, not have the money in the bank, not have the wellness in our body, not have the knowing of the scripture to go to, not have, we can be in a state of lack and yet choose to learn right there and then that we are going to be instructed of God and we're going to learn whether I have it or I don't, I will be content. I will learn to thank God whether I have it or I don't. Why? Because he has never left. He is right there. And if I have, oh my, if you and I have the answer to the problem right there, then the need doesn't matter. How much we lack does not matter. We may never have done this thing before, but guess what? The one who knows how to do all is right there. So how big is the problem? It's not big at all. It's not big at all. Now let's go together and let's look at Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark chapter four. And we're going to look at verse number 11. God is good at helping us to see it clearly. And that's what I, I'm sensing he's doing. The only way that we'll see it clearly is if we value it, is if we're thankful for what we do see. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, he was surpassed with an innumerable amount. It was a company of people that was following them out to a desert place. You're going to Mark 4.11, and I'll come to it. And Jesus looked on them, and he loved them, and he had compassion on them. And the scriptures tell us that he looked upon them, and they were to him as sheep without a shepherd. There are many in this day that are going through this experience of life in this earth, and they don't realize how needful they are of a shepherd. And they're going back and forth, and they're going all over, desiring and desperately needing shepherd and going without. And Jesus is looking at a multitude like this, and they're hungry. They had just been fed, and Jesus and the disciples had no rest. They left for the very reason. And so they're in a deserted place just to rest. They had talked about at times that they had ministered so much, they didn't have time to personally eat. And so they're going to rest. And Jesus sees them come out, this whole multitude of people. And he starts talking to the disciples about feeding them. And the disciples immediately are doubting. And they're, they're questioning. They're, they're saying, even if we had this much money, would that be enough to feed them all? And Jesus, the scripture said, already knew what he was to do. So he's asking to see what? 
What do they see? How do they see it? Are they seeing what he's seeing? Are they looking at it with that light? And obviously they weren't. They're thinking, where in the world are we going to get food for this group? How in the world are we going to do it? And they are chaotic. Thinking, oh man, what a big problem. We just got away from this crowd. They want more. They want more. Help me, God, help me. And they're thinking, we don't have enough, Jesus. We don't. We can't. We won't. We, oh my. And, oh my. Finally, they were able to get some light. Oh, aren't you glad for light? And they realized, hold on, we got something. We got something. It's a boy's lunch. And the boy had some bread and he had some fish, right? A couple loaves, had a little fish. It's a boy's lunch. Even if he had a hefty lunch for a boy, is it going to feed thousands? And that's one of the disciples' responses. They said, what is that among so many? What are you hearing? You're hearing a dark response. You're hearing doubt, you're hearing disbelief, but it is unreasonable to take this boy's lunch and expect it to go and to meet their needs and meet their needs and meet their needs and feed thousands? Are you crazy, Jesus? What are you thinking? God, what are you thinking? What is that amongst so many? That's a dark response. What does light say? Light says, get the group to sit down in ranks. Get them down in groups of 50. Get them down. Get this place organized. Get it ordered. And then come back to me. I got some more instructions for you. And they did that. And they're telling these people, okay, sit down. Get your family together. Get grouped up. Okay, that's 50. Okay, nope, nope. Cut off here. We got five from this family. Now your family, go over there and get in that group. And they're sectioning them off. Doing what? Preparing for light to work. Preparing for ministry to go forth. But you have absolutely nothing more right now than some fish and some loaves of bread. You still are not looking at what is going to feed them all. You're still not looking at what is going to supply this need. But what does that mean to you when you got light? Nothing. Nothing. And so they're doing what God showed them, and they're sectioning them off, and the people are ready for what's coming next. And Jesus lifts up the loaves. Oh, my. Oh, my. The faith of the master. It's the same faith in us. He lifts it up. <laughs> he said, Father, I thank you. You hear me. He said, thank you, Father, for this. And he blessed it, and he broke it, and they started distributing. And the scriptures tell us that they all were filled off a boy's lunch, and not a single one lacked. Oh my, can you see this? The difference in perception. One is saying, what is it among so many? And another is thanking God. For what he's given. And the difference was everything. The difference was what caused all to eat and be filled. Or what caused a problem to perpetuate. 
No. It doesn't matter how much we look at the problem and how much we don't have and how much we can't do. That's never going to solve it. But when we look at what we got, we say, God has talked to me about that. Let me look at that. Thank you, Father, for showing me that. Thank you. I got that. And you have that thing to give. Oh, my. I see it now. There are so many right now in this point in time. God is just trying to get us to trust him with that one. That euro, that Australian dollar, that ruby, that one. He's just trying to get us to trust him with one of those. Like that boy had to trust Jesus with that lunch. He's choosing to not eat for that point in time. The lunch was no longer in that boy's hands. He gave it up. That boy was going to go without eating that day. For his love for God. <laughs> oh, mom, you see it like I'm seeing it. For his love for God, for his love for Jesus, for his love for the ministry, that boy was going to go without his meal. But did he eat that day, my friends? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He didn't lack any good. He chose to suffer need and give it all up. And yet I am assured he ate more than he originally had. And the scriptures tell us that they gathered up fragments. They got bags left over. And I am assured that boy went home with more. And his parents are looking at him like, boy, what were you doing today? I sent you with a lunch. And you're coming back with all this? What have you been doing? And he was sharing with them about Jesus. He was telling them about how God gloriously provided. Oh my, can you see what will happen when we open up to light? Oh my. And yet the choice is right there. And we will find ourselves in the midst of a crux, in a midst of a crossroads, and we will have to choose whether we doubt and disbelieve, whether we think and we talk about what we don't have and what we can't do, or we decide we got something from God and we're going to do with what we got. And if it might seem little to some, it's something to us. And we're going to lift it up to God and say, thank you, Lord, because you gave it. We exalt it because it's from you. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. And if it seems small, it's not small to us because we know who gave it to us. It came from the Lord. And for that reason, we give thanks. This, my friends, is the heart of contentment. And it's the way you and I can keep Satan, that silly devil, from taking what's God's and what he has given to us. And if we will stay in this place of contentment, that enemy is under our feet continuously. Can't steal and rob from us. Can't take the healing power of God from us. Cannot take our provision and the way that the shepherd is showing. Cannot do it. He can't do it. And this means you and I are the most prosperous people in this earth. Because we don't lose what we've got. Hallelujah. Well, we are not close to being done. Are you done? You just got me preaching and excited. 
about this word. And I sense it's working. There's some more to get. If you'll stick with us, let's get it. We don't want to, you know, God provides for us a table. <laughs> it's a shame when you eat and you leave and then you realize, oh man, I'm still hungry. I should have ate that. It was right there on the table. Man, well, they've already took away the table. It's already wrapped up. You can't go get the pie then. No, you want to eat your pie while it's present. While it's there, get the word and get it in full. If you need to take some extra, take it extra. Open it up later, right? As you get back home, enjoy it then. But don't leave God's provision on the table. No, he has every good thing on the table. Hallelujah. <laughs> so here in Mark 4, verse 11, Jesus is going to give us insight that is going to proliferate into everything else. And it says here in the 11th verse, Mark 4, 11, And he, Jesus, said to them, Unto you it is given. If it's given, do you have to work for it? No. No. Unto you it is given. Hallelujah. And it is given to what? To know the mystery of the kingdom of God. To know the truth about God's working in and through us. To know the truth of God having his way in and through our lives. This is the kingdom of God. and. He says, to us, it's given to know this mystery. So what is not known by the world, to what they will wonder and, and their head will turn at, you and I readily know it because we're known of him. And he says, to you, it's, it's given to know this, to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. And why? The 12th verse tells us that seeing they may see and not perceive. Do you see those words? They don't perceive it. The issue is not that they don't see it. The issue is that they don't perceive it. So the answer is right there, but they don't get it. They can't say they weren't shown. They can say they don't know. And that's that's unfortunate, my friends. And it goes on. Can you please turn that fan some from me? Thank you. And it does say, let's continue. I apologize for the interruption. It says, and hearing they may hear and not understand. So the issue is not that they didn't hear it. The issue is they didn't understand what they heard. That's a problem. Now, is Jesus telling this to us for no point in reason? If you and I understand everything that God has said to us, if you and I have rightly perceived everything that he's shown us, then these words mean nothing to us, right? Are these words not for us today? Is it not possible that God can show us something and he can say something and us not see it right and not hear it correctly? No. This is as much for us today, and it's as much, yes, a possibility that you and I can see the very answer and hear the very answer and completely miss it. And that's a problem, and that would be a picture of a Christian 
that has been made rich, the answer is there. And they're living in a poor way. And he continues and says, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said to them, know you not this parable? Do you not know this? And how then will you know all parables? So it's made very clear in this statement that if you and I don't understand this, it's going to make it a problem for us to understand everything else. It's very important we understand this. It's very important that we get this. Now let's continue and look at this in Luke 8. Luke 8. Luke 8, verse 11. Hallelujah. Luke 8, verse 11. Thank you, Father. Just giving you a moment to get there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. As I've been looking at contentment, the Lord has ministered to my heart that contentment is the keeping power. Keeping meaning you don't lose it, it doesn't get away from you. Contentment, thankfulness is something in our lives that will enable us to not lose what is there. And naturally, we see this. If we're thankful for it, we set protections for it, right? There are certain uh, factors that we put into play to keep it. We'll cover it. We'll preserve it. If it means more to us, we'll go to greater lengths to preserve it. And it should be like that with what God gives us. Now here in verse 11, it says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed's the word. How important should the seed be? It should be ever important. The seed that we receive is going to be, yes sir, the measure of seed that we truly and, yes sir, the measure of the seed that we, thank you Father for your helping. Okay, let's read this, and, and then I believe that statement's going to be clearer to, to make. And he said to them, um, the seed is the word of God. Those, 12th verse, by the wayside, are they that hear, so they heard it, then comes the devil, and takes away the word out of their hearts. So you can't say the word never got to their heart, it did. But as soon as the word went forth, and as soon as that very word, the word they needed, the answer to the problem came to their heart immediately, there is the enemy that comes to take it from the heart. Now, let's continue. It says, lest they should believe and be saved. If the word is not still there in the heart, it's not being believed upon. If it's allowed to be taken, then there's no faith at work. As long as we keep the word in the heart, we keep it in a place it can work. We keep it in the place of trust. Now it goes on and says that they on the rock are they which when they hear, so again they hear it, they receive the word with joy. And these have no root, 
which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. So again, something is allowed to come in between the Word and them. And the Word is God's provision. It is God's will and way. It's God's distribution, uh, yes, sir, distribution to them. God has distributed the answer. God has distributed the means, and yet they allowed it to be taken. And let's look at it this way. If you and I get the answer, and we hold on to it for a whole month, right? And it doesn't get away from us. It doesn't get away from us. And it's working for us for a month's time. And the day after that month, we let loose of it. And it gets away from us. Is that word working in our life? No. Though it was working for day upon day upon day upon day, as soon as we let loose of it, as soon as we decide we're no longer thankful for that word, we're no longer trusting and believing what God has said about that. It is gone. It's not working. It's as if it was never in the ground. It's not fruitful. It takes no root. You and I know very, very well. We've seen trees, you know, if we were to look at trees that have been around for hundreds. Thank you, Father. Hundreds of years. We'll look underneath that ground if we could see it. And you will see roots that have been embedded and will come up and under. You'll find roots so strong they'll uproot cement and they'll uproot uh, hard rock and gravel. They have been allowed the time. They've been kept in the soil that has been fruitful and matured it. And they've gotten to a place that it takes some great duration. It takes some real shaking to take those roots up. And you and I can live a content lifestyle where the Word of God can do that. And there can be things He has shown us that it, don't matter, it does not matter what experiences or what circumstances come against it. It can't shake the roots. They've been so embedded. And the Word is working and working and working in our lives. Hallelujah. And it says, And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. You see in part with this is the abundance. If you and I are going to learn to live content, we're going to have to be okay with abounding. This is where many have even said, you know, abundance cannot be uh, coupled with godliness. And there has been so much said that if one is going to be godly, they must take a vow of poverty. And they must take a vow that they will, they will live in a state of always not having enough. But if we look back at what Paul was telling us about the Spirit of God, if we're going to know a content lifestyle, we're going to learn how to abound. We're going to learn how to be in an abundant state of life and in a state of life where we don't have enough. We're going to have to learn how to do both. And so if we are rejecting an abundance, 
if we're rejecting prosperous way, then we're rejecting contentment. We can't say, yeah, I'm glad and I'm content and I'm thankful for all that God's done. And yet God is trying to abound towards us, but we don't want abundance. No, we must reject abundance. That's not God. That's not God. And yet Jesus himself said, no, I came. I came that you may have more than enough. I came that you may have abundance. I came that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I came for it. And you're going, no, no, I can't. I can't have abundance. I can't. You are rejecting contentment. No. We can coax it. We can sugarcoat it. But in all actuality, if we're going to live a content way of life, we're going to have to learn and allow God to instruct us to live beyond and to have much more than enough. And to not have enough in some other ways, we're going to have to learn both if we're going to be content. And we see here that the riches are one of the ways, the cares are one of the ways, the pleasures of life. Us having what we want, us getting our way can be the very thing that robs the seed and the wonderful, powerful word of God from our lives. How important is that game? How important is that leisure activity? Is it so important to rob the word of God from our life? It's not that important. And yet 25% of all who hear God's glorious word miss it because of that very thing. Because, oh, I can't go without my programs. I can't go. No, I got to see my shows. I got to. Oh. What do you mean? Don't go shopping today? What? And the Spirit of God's telling you, no, no, do this. But you, oh, but, but they got the sale. The sale is today, and I can't miss it. It's buy one, get one. I can't miss that. And all the while, what are they doing? They are disqualifying from the light because they're showing they're more thankful for the thing than they are for the word. And it is what has prevented God from being able to show them any more. I will say this. I know as my wife and I were, were meditating on some of these things, I could see it. God can send grade A preachers and teachers of the gospel to us. And for 24-7, they can spoon feed us the good news of God. And if we are not wanting it and are unthankful for it, and reject it. We can turn and spit that word right out on the ground. And how much does it benefit us? Absolutely none. None. We will be completely unbenefited. Unproduced word would show in our lives. Because it can be the most anointed words in the earth. And if we are not glad, if we're not content, if we're not thankful for what we see, guess what? We will see no more from it. It will not produce for us at all. And that's not my words. That's the scriptures. And the 14th verse says, And that which fell among thorns, again, it's those that, that bring no fruit to perfection. There's fruit that's there, but it never ripens. It never gets to a place where it can actually be enjoyed and prospered to the place where Oh, you got to dish this fruit out. Someone's got to taste that. Oh, man, that is sweet. That is good. 
and yet there's fruit that you can see, but oh, thank you, Father. Jesus. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Won't go there. I was thinking of Jesus as he looked at that fig tree from afar off. And it says he went happily to find figs on it. But then when he got there, he's it said it wasn't the time for figs. It wasn't present. And he was upset. Why? This fruit, this tree is not producing. He's looking for a productive tree. He's looking for that in you and in me. He's looking for production. He's looking for productivity. You and I ought to be bearing fruit every day. Every day. We ought to be abounding in fruit, abounding in good. Hallelujah. Productive works and ways of God. And he continued and said, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, say this with me, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. We see here two qualities of a content individual. Two qualities of a content individual. A content individual is a keeper of the word of God, a keeper of God's things. And we find here that they keep it by an honest heart. Notice when we were looking before about Jesus, when he said, if your eye is what? True. If you're seeing it honestly, if you're seeing it right, then your whole body will be full of light. Your reality will be true. Why do we talk about this? If you and I allow any amount of dishonesty, if we're allowing any form and fashion of dishonesty, little white lie, we're allowing ourselves to be robbed because it is a tool of the creator of lying himself. Satan has fathered lying. He has fathered deception. And if you and I allow any form of it, we're allowing ourselves to be robbed of God's very light and good way, which means every answer, every provision, everything that he distributes to us. If in any way I'm allowing a lie, and part of that lie is lying to myself. If I'm not honest with myself, and James talks about this, you want to know how you and I can tell whether we're honest with ourselves. We are doers of what God shows us to do. James, in those, as he was being led to the Spirit of God to pen down that letter, he said that if any be a hearer only, we're talking about hearers tonight. If any be a hearer only and not a doer of the word, it said that uh, they deceive their own selves. You could say they're lying to themselves. Why? Because they said they heard, but they're not living by what they saw. And because they're not living by what they saw, they're lying to themselves. They're thinking, I got this. I live by this. I know this. Why? Because I heard it. Yeah. So what? Are you doing it? If you're not doing it, you're going to forget what you saw. You're going to forget what you heard. If you don't remind yourself continually and keep that word, it doesn't matter if you heard it once. 
You're fooling yourself to think that you got it. No, you can see humility will be honest, will make note. I need to remind myself of what he has told me, of what he has showed me. Why? Because if I don't keep it and if I don't live by it, I will lose it. And I don't want to lose what he has given. It means too much. It means all the world. And it goes on and says, in that honest and good heart, in that true heart and true perception, that we keep these words and we bring forth fruit with what? With patience. We see it right. And then we hold on until it goes long and hold on still until we get everything that he has promised. And we see that word fulfilled. And we see, hallelujah, light continue to produce and become more and multiply and grow. And it grows bigger and bigger and we see it more and more. And then it blesses others as it grows and matures. Hallelujah. Now, thank you, Lord. It goes on and says that no man, when he has lighted a candle, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed. When you have that light, it's not going to help anybody under a bed. But he sets it on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made known, made manifest and seen. Neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, take heed. Watch how you hear. Watch how you hear it. For whosoever has, to him shall be given. What does that mean? If you and I do well with what we've heard, you and I are going to get more. We'll hear more. We'll see more. Oh my. This has grown so strong in my heart. I have released faith that we as a ministry will reach more. That's how this whole thing has started. I, I started believing God that he would give us nations for our inheritance. That there would be people across all nations that God would allow us to reach and minister this good news of Jesus Christ and allow God to show himself to them. And my, that seems big to you when you don't see it readily right before you. But when you have that audacity of faith and you're willing to trust him, I saw this in the second Psalm. He has this plan for you, that you'll reach nations, that the goodness of God through you would change internationally. It'll affect your nation but my word, it'll reach abroad. And it talks about after that, that he'd give us uh, the ends of the earth for our possessions. And I started releasing faith on this. And I started seeing reaching out far out beyond we ever have and ever could. And in order for you and I to really see some peak places, you got to look up from a higher altitude. You got to go up to a different spot. You got to see it from a different perspective. And if you and I can come to a different vantage point and we can see doing what we've never done and see reaching whom we've never reached and see preaching like we never preached and teaching like we never taught and the spirit of God moving through us like he never had. If you and I can see it like he is endeavoring to show it, then we will live like only he could enable us to and we'll reach out further beyond we ever have. The reason why he wants us to look up and have greater vision 
is because he needs us to reach out and expand and to touch more than we ever have. It's all about the reach. It's all about the people. And um, so we see here that he's saying once you have it, if you do well with it, you take heed and watch how you hear it. Those that have, to them shall be given more. Whosoever has not, from him shall be what? Taken, even that which he seems to have. Well, I heard that message. Yeah, it seems like you have it. Watch out. Don't take it for granted. Because the day will come if we are not thankful, if we are not content, it'll get taken right from us. No, no, no. There's good news, my friends. Hallelujah. And um, I know we're going long, but I want us to get to the good news. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. So let's go together to... <laughs> Hallelujah. Hebrews 13. I got more notes than I got time to preach and teach right now. So uh, I, I sense the more as I'm looking at these things, we need to come back and build faith more. I, I remember, I recall the Apostle Paul, he had talked to the church at Corinth, and he said a third time he was coming to them. He said, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Well, he had said, I've come to you two times already. Now I'm going to come to you a third time. And there's some words that, you know, you've heard it, but we need to water it. We need to go back over and hear that again. We need to remind ourselves. We need to make sure that does not get away from us. And it's the way that we keep it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We need to keep the light that we have. Now, let's look together. Where do you want us to go? Hebrews 13, 5. Oh, my Thank you, Lord. And as you're there in Hebrews 13, 5, I need to go someplace else with you as well. And so I'm going to go over to, where do you want me to go, Lord? <laughs> yes, sir. I want to read to you Isaiah 53, verse 2 for a moment here. This is the easy to read version, and it's, it's giving us a prophecy of our Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says this in the easy-to-read version in the second half of that second verse. It says, there was nothing special or impressive about the way he looked. Nothing we could see that would cause us to like him. Jesus, in his earthly ministry and in his life, there was nothing substantial that would cause you and I, say we went to the grocery store and Jesus is in the grocery store, and we walk by him. He's right there in the fruit aisle, right? And we're going to get our berries. And we walk right by him. There's nothing astounding about him that makes us pump the brakes and stop and go, Oh, hold on. That was Jesus by the apples. Whoa, whoa. Jesus was right there by the apples. I got to go see Jesus. No. He was in the flesh. And he would have been just as unrecognizable as someone else you and I pass in the store. And it would have taken the Spirit of God. Jesus said that the Spirit draws all men to him. And it would have, it would have taken a drawing. It would have taken us having seen light and known by the Father's help 
that this is the master. It was a remarkable uh, thing that Peter had gotten this revelation. You are the Messiah. Where else are we going to go? It's through you that we have wonderful heavenly words. He said, you are it. You are the prophetic Messiah. Why is that so remarkable? Because not everybody's seeing that. But God gave it to Peter and he saw it. And what you and I do with what we see makes all the difference in the world. How you and I see it is going to make all the difference in how you and I live today. Thank you, Lord. So um, I wanted to read that to you. Now, we're in Hebrews 13, verse 5. We're talking about living a content life. And it says here in the fifth verse, let your conversation. Now, this King James word means way of life. Let our way of life be without covetousness. So this is wanting what we don't have. And it goes on and says, and be content with such things as you have. For he, who? God. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Oh my, my friends, this is key to contentment. I don't care what you and I are looking at, what is opposing us right now, what it seems like we don't have, what it seems like we can't do, what it seems like is not going to work well for us. We have all possibility and choice right now to look at this circumstance and say, no, God, you're with me. You are with me and you said you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. I got the answer right now. I got every reason to rejoice. I have every reason to give thanks. And like the master Jesus, it may look like a little bit, but it's mine. God's given it to me. Father, I thank you for it. I bless it right now. And I'm going to watch it multiply in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is how you and I are going to overcome. It's how you and I are going to be the most prosperous ones in the earth. It's how we're going to keep the gracious and good things God has given us. Hallelujah. It's how you and I are going to have the great gain in this life. You want to find out how to be successful. It doesn't matter what nation you're in. It doesn't matter what job, what profession. That's not as important. What is as important is that you and I take that light, that you and I hear from him, and we do with that light. We love it so much. We're so thankful for what he's shown us that we're not going to let it get away from us. God's given us that spouse. We're not going to let them get away. We're not going to force them. We're not going to... No, they're going to want to be with us for the rest of their lives. They got it so good with us because we are the most lovely keepers of the good things of God that they wouldn't think they'd want to be with anybody else. They got it so, so good. We realize continuously 
as we look at who God's put in our life and what he's put in our life, and we look at it every day by his helping and we see it right. And as we do, we keep that light and we don't lose our families. We don't lose our marriages. We don't lose our ministries. We don't lose our jobs and our professions. We don't lose because the enemy can't steal what we don't give him access to. Hallelujah. My friends, this is good news. You and I, in these days, as we grab hold of this and keep what God has given us, we are going to be seen as the most prosperous people in this earth. I hope you're ready for it. I'm going to look at you for a moment and just see, are you ready to be the most prosperous people in this earth? Are you ready to have the great gain seen in your life? Are you ready? I got to check on you. I got to see. I'm ready. I believe you are too. Hallelujah. We love you, friends. Partners, we're so thankful for you. If it wasn't for your faithful support, we could not do what we're doing today. Everywhere this gospel goes, you have part in its function. Every place that a life, hallelujah, is changed, someone comes back and knows God. Someone receives him for the first time, a uh, uh, life style changed because they're delivered by the wonderful power of God and a healing is taking place. You have part in all that. Guess what? That means God's going to reward you for it. Are you ready to be rewarded? Are you ready? Then keep. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, we love you, friends. We need to go for now, but we bless you. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father.